Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to, uh, to see you. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Um, yeah, great to have you uh, here with us in this place today. Um, since this is a holiday weekend, we've got um, many of our young ones with us. We don't have programming for our K through fifth graders, and so we want to say welcome to that whole group here today. We're glad that you guys are here with us. It's also, this is a holiday weekend, and so that's an opportunity where we get to give the weekend off to many of our children's ministry volunteers. And you might not know this, but there are about 150 volunteers that provide great ministry to our kids each and every week. Um, and so I thought this would be just a great opportunity for us just to show our appreciation to them. And so would you join me and let's just thank our, our leaders. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, they do an incredible job. I'm convinced that God has given us, he's gifted us some of the best volunteers around. And so we're just so thankful. Week in and week out, they faithfully pour into the next generation. Uh, well, this morning is a special morning for us because we're going to be concluding what's been a six-week series for us, the series that we've been in called Things to Fight For. If you're just jumping into it, we've been talking about over the course of the last six weeks, we've been talking about what are the things in life that really rise to the top? What are the things in life that you would say on God's list are most important? What are the things in life that if you don't fight for them, if you're not intentional about them, over time, not only will you notice, but over time, actually, the people around you will begin to notice as well. And so we've identified what are some of those top, top things. And so in this series, we've, we began and we, we've talked about things like this. We said we want to be a church that we fight for the next generation. We want to be a church that we care so deeply about the legacy that we're going to leave as Christ followers. So we want to care and pour deeply spiritual truths into the next generation. We said that, you know what, another thing that's worth fighting for is our identity. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that can mark who you are as a person. But what does God say about you? When God looks at you, what does he see? How does he describe you? How does he think about you? We said that we want to be a church that we fight for a vibrant faith. That faith should be so far from boring. I don't know what your background is, but your faith in Christ, we said, you got to fight for a vibrant faith. You've got to fight for the reality that God can speak to you and that you can live your life interacting with a God that truly loves you and cares about you. We said you've got to fight for marriage. We said, you've got to fight for marriage. You've got to fight to have a marriage that makes it. You've got to, you, no one in this room will ever coast to having a good marriage. So much feedback after, that, after we talked about that. Why? Just because it's so incredibly important. You have to fight for marriage. Uh, we said in this series also that you have to fight for influence. Last weekend, we looked at the story of Esther, an incredible story in the scriptures. And we said that we want to be the kind of church that we fight for effective influence. We believe that God didn't just put any one of us here just to have us here, but God put us here for a specific purpose at a specific time, and he calls us to have an incredible influence for him, to make his name known. Well, this morning, what we're going to do, and I just love how God, I think, kind of just ties this whole series together this morning. This morning we're going to talk about a quality that's really an overarching quality. It really, it really plays to each and every one of these areas and many more. We're going to talk about a quality this morning that if you have it, it serves you well. If you have it, your spouse, if you're married or your friends or your children or your employer, if you have it, they are so glad you have it. And if you don't have it, the good news is you can get it. Or if you've only got a little bit of it. 
you're going to find this morning that you can tap into it and you can get more of it. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever felt like you just needed to fight to fight? Have you ever been in a situation where your back was against the wall and you realized the thing that I need to do more than anything else right now, I just need help, Lord. Would you help me persevere? Would you help me keep going? Would you help me take the next step? Would you help me not just throw in the towel, but would you help me keep going? To kind of set this up a little bit, I want you to take a look at this, this fun little clip that we're going to play with, particularly the kids in mind this morning. So yeah, take a look at the screens. I really hope I can do it. Because they're all depending on me. I know that I must leave the only home I've ever known and brave the dangers of the forest, saving them before they're eaten. I mean, how hard can that be? gonna be a fantastic day such marvelousness it's gonna bring got a pocket full of songs that i'm gonna sing and i'm ready to take on anything Hooray! some super fun surprise around each corner just riding on a rainbow i'm gonna be okay hey i'm not giving up today there's nothing getting in my way and if you knock knock me over You ever feel like that though? Maybe you've got a plan in mind and it doesn't just quite work out the way that you want it to and it kind of actually gets smushed like a bug. You ever had that feeling? Um, maybe you've got a dream in your mind of what your life was going to look like by this point, but it just hasn't happened. What do you do when you're in that situation? I love those words, I'm not giving up today. You can knock me down, you can knock me over, but I'll get up again. Christina said, you should sing those words, Jeff. I'm like, I don't think that would be good for the church. Yeah, no, I think I'll try that. But today what we're going to be talking about is this. We're going to be talking about this overarching idea that sometimes in life you have to fight to fight. Sometimes in life you have to persevere. You have to get back up again. Sometimes in life you have to do this thing and you have to have this quality. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. You have to have this quality called grit. You have to have this quality that looks a trial in the eye and it says, I'm going to keep going. Now you look at top researchers of the day and they will say this, I'm reading a book called Grit by this uh, gal named Angela Duckworth right now, and her whole point is this, whether it's an early child or all the way up to an adult, over intelligence, over natural talents, people that mark themselves, that distinguish themselves, it's a distinguishing factor in people that are successful, they have this quality above those other two things called grit. They have this ability to be able to fight through. This ability to be able to look at a roadblock and to be able to say, I know I can get to the other side. And today what's so cool is this. We're going to look at this not from just a secular perspective, but most importantly, we're going to look at this from a biblical perspective. 
And we're going to see what do the scriptures say about perseverance? What do the scriptures say about this thing called grit? And what I think you're going to find and what's blown me away this week is it takes it to a whole new level. You know, we love stories about grit. We love stories about grit. My, um, Christina's grandfather, Christina, my wife, her grandfather loved boxing. He was a boxer himself and he loved boxing. And, and there's no doubt about it that he watched this match. It was one of the greatest matches, one of the greatest boxing matches of all time. It was called the, the Showdown. The year was 1981. Sugar Ray Leonard was up against this guy that was undefeated. His name was, was Thomas Hearns. And he was known as the Hitman. In other words, you didn't want to mess with Thomas. You didn't want to get in the ring with this guy. Now, things weren't looking good, though, for Sugar Ray Leonard. And he got to the point where at the end of the 12th round, his trainer, when he came over to the corner and he sat him down after taking blow after blow after blow from the hitman, his trainer looked him in the eye and he said, what are you doing? He said, you're blowing it, son. You're blowing it. Everything that you've worked for. And in that moment, it triggered Sugar Ray Leonard's grit. And he dug deep from within, and he came out of that corner at the end of the 12th round, and he went into this flurry against Thomas. And by the end of it, at the end of the 14th round, or actually in the middle of the 14th round, the referee called the match, said it's no longer healthy for the hitman to take any more hits. After 12 rounds, what happened? After 12 rounds, Sugar Ray Leonard, something clicked in his mind, and he tapped into his grit. Isn't it true? Sometimes in life, you have to fight to fight. Sometimes in life, you have to dig just a little bit deeper. We love stories like this. Think about any documentary that you enjoy, maybe that you read or you watch a movie about a documentary. At the core of the stories that we love the most, we see this theme of grit. We love it. One of the most renowned leaders of the last 200 years, he has a gritty journey. He suffered bankruptcy twice in his 20s. He was defeated for political office shortly after that. Shortly after that, the woman that he loved and that he was hoping to marry, she unexpectedly died. It threw this man into a whirlwind. He suffered depression. He was, he was like an emotional breakdown right there. This same guy then went on to lose congressional races at the ages of 34 and then again at the age of 36. He was defeated for the U.S. office, the U.S. Senate race in at the age of 47, but Abraham Lincoln had grit. Abraham Lincoln, when he became the president of the United States at the age of 52, what did he do? He brought the country back together after the Civil War. He eliminated slavery. But what was true about him? He had grit. He was the kind of man that he looked at a trial, he looked at a defeat, he looked at another defeat, and he kept on going. Grit means this, it means passion and perseverance over the long haul. Passion and perseverance over the long haul. I admire so many of you in this room. You're in, I would say, more of the senior crowd in this room. And I admire you because so many of you for decade after decade after decade, what have you done? You've looked a trial in the eye and you've kept going. You've looked at how God created you and you've said, you know what, I might have some setbacks, but God, you have big things for me. My life is going to count and you have kept going. Grit means this. It means you look defeat in the eye, but you have the ability to be able to see the finish line. It means that you play hurt. Grit means you keep going. So here's our question. 
how do you grow in grit? How do you grow in this thing called perseverance? How do you become that kind of person that as a Christ follower, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you're faced with a trial, how do you have the perseverance? How do you have that long-term grit to be able to push through? You know, I have the privilege of being able to talk to different people week after week after week. And so I hear about lots of life, life, life circumstances. I hear about marriages, or I hear about uh, an issue with a career, or I hear about my identity, I'm struggling in this, or I've got this uh, secret sin over here, and, and I want to talk about that. And, and oftentimes I'll hear this, though, something like this. A person will be overwhelmed. And in the moment of being overwhelmed, they'll just say something like this. They'll say, but I just don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I have the grit. I don't know if I have the perseverance to get through this. And let me just say, I've had that exact same feeling myself. What do you do when you ask yourself those questions? Because those are rattling questions. Like when you say to yourself, can I really get through this? That rattles you, you internally a little bit. What do you do when you're asking yourself those kinds of questions? I want to take you to a story this morning. It's a story in the Old Testament, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I've been excited to talk about this topic of grit, but I'm really grateful, honestly, for what God did in my own heart this week. I think I needed this message maybe more than anybody else. And so I'm glad you're here, but I think this one maybe was just, just for me. But I love the message that we're going to get out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's a story that takes place in the life of David. Now, as you heard, we're going to be jumping into a whole series that's going to take us through uh, some of the great parts of the life of David. We're going to start that next weekend. Uh, don't miss. It's going to be a great series. But in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we come in on David at what you could say is one of the worst days of his life. If you've ever felt like your back is against the wall, this was that day for David. This is the scene. David is the rising king of Israel. So this is kind of what's going on. He's, he's young. He's a young leader. And he's leading these troops. And honestly, David is leading them very well. But more than anything, God's favor is on David. And so the things that he's touching are going well. The battles that he's engaging in, he is winning by and large. But that all comes to one terrible day when the pattern changes. After returning home from a battle against yet another enemy, David and his men, and, and David's men, imagine this, they were this scrappy group of elite fighters. But at the end of this, this day, this journey, they finally get back home and they discover when they get to home, this place called Zik, Ziklag, they discover what? They discover that this group of, of, of fighters have come in, the Amalekites, they've come in and what have they done? They've overtaken the city which they were calling home. They've destroyed it completely. But in addition to that, they can't find their wives. And they can't find their children. But even if you think that's bad, there's also this overriding cloud that's even higher than that that David is living with. And it's the fact that David is actually on the run. And David is on the run from a man who should be trying to protect his life more than any other man. His name was King Saul. And Saul, he watched David. He watched David, you know, rise to, to, to kind of greatness, win all these battles. But Saul looked at his own son, and, and, and Saul felt threatened by David's leadership. And so he said, you know what, I'm going to kill David so Jonathan, my son, can become the king. And so that I don't have to hear anymore about how great David is. 
So David has a lot going on. So try to imagine it. David and his men, they come closer to town. They've been on this journey for two days, the scriptures say. They finally approach their homes, their wives and their children on the, 30, on the uh, third day. They've marched 50 miles. But imagine it. As they begin to get a little bit closer, they smell smoke in the air. And then as they begin to get even a little bit closer, they see that there's a haze over the city. Now any soldier with an ounce of experience would, would have known what this could mean. And so imagine these soldiers. I bet you they started to jog. I bet you they started to run. And I bet you when they got to the city gate and their loved ones who normally met them there, when they did not come, I bet you it broke the hearts of these men. And they went into the city and they realized that the city was eerily empty. It was vacant. Everything was burned. Their wives and their children were gone. Now imagine it. I bet you these men, these valiant warriors, I bet you the names and the faces of those they loved most began to go through their minds. And I bet you they thought to themselves, we've been out fighting, but we failed to protect the ones that we love the most. You want to talk about a bad day. This was a horrible day for David. A horrible day for his men. But let me ask you this. Have you ever had a bad day? A day that you just wished would get over? And you even thought to yourself, well, nothing else could go wrong. And then something else went wrong. You ever had that happen to you? You're like, Lord, I'm down. Like, my car is pulled over. Like, the cops don't need to come and give me a ticket for being on the side of the road. It's broken, you know. You're like, well, what else could go wrong? This is what happened to David. When it seemed like nothing else could go wrong, something else did go wrong. Why? Because his men were angry. Because his men, imagine this, they've traveled 50 miles, they haven't slept, they've been fighting, they've been on the road, and now they get home, and what is, what is happening? Their hearts are sick because their wives and their children are gone, and they don't know where they are. And so that's the group that David is leading. And this day goes from bad to worse because in the midst of that, this faction rises within David's group, within his men, and they say, you know what we should do? We should stone David. We should get rid of this man because he's the one that led us here. And we should get rid of him because now that I don't know where my wife is and now that I don't know where my children are, I think it's his fault. And so imagine this moment for David. It is probably the worst, one of the worst days of his life. If there was ever a moment when David needed a little bit of grit, this was the day. And we can learn so much about how David responds in this moment. For you, it's the moment when you face the trial that you wished you would never have to face. It's the moment when you get the news that you prayed that you would not get. It's the moment when you look at your life and you go, I dreamed my life would be like this, but it actually looks more like this. And you face that trial. What do you do in that moment? What David did in that moment, we learned so much from. So here's the story. Here it is. First uh, Samuel chapter 30. Uh, starting in verse 1, here's what happened. It says, David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off, off as they went on their way. It says, when David and his men reached Ziklag... They found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. 
So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. If there was ever a moment of despair, this is the moment. David's two wives had been uh, captured. Uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Carmel. And then it says this, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons of his sons and daughters. But here it is, don't miss this, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Now let's take a time out, church. Notice this. Notice what David did not do. Because I think so often, at least I can be prone to acting this way. David didn't say, hey guys, I'm going to be back in just a minute. He didn't go into a private tent and just sit down and kind of beat his thighs and say, come on, David. You can do this. He didn't give himself a pep talk. He didn't say, come on, get fired up. You can lead this troop. If there's ever a time when you need to lead, you need to lead right now. He didn't say that to himself. Instead, it says this. What did David do? He found strength in the Lord his God, when David could have looked inward and said, I just need to dig deeper to get out of this, he didn't do it. Instead, what did he do? When David was faced with those two words, when, the, when he was faced with those words, keep going, what did he do? David didn't say, okay, yes, in my own strength, I will keep going. No. This is so important. David found his strength in the Lord. David realized, I need to connect with the God who loves me. When his back was against the wall, when your back is against the wall, what is the smartest thing that you can do? If there was ever a time when, when David needed to find that extra 2%, this was it. But notice what he did. It's when you and I do this, that we do the thing that God longs for us to do, church. It's when you go to God very simply and you say, you know what, I cannot persevere through this. This challenge is too big. This news is too great. This outlook isn't what I thought. But when you and I do that and we say, God, with open hands, Lord, my palms, you know, kind of my posture is this, God, I give this to you, the God who loves me. That is what David did when it says that he found his strength in the Lord. Now, if you read through Mark's gospel, you'll find this. What did Jesus do? The pattern of Jesus' life. I mean, we learned so much from this, so convicted by this this week. What did Jesus do? He had these, these streaks where he would go out and he would do ministry, intense ministry. No doubt he was dealing with challenges. People were coming to him all the time. He's dealing with challenge after challenge after challenge. But what did he do after that? The Son of God. The scriptures say that there were times then, we see this pattern over and over again, where Jesus would go and he would take a time out and he would fast and he would pray and he would hear the voice of his father who loved him. And he would be reminded of who he is. And he would be reminded, okay, this is your purpose. And he would keep going. That is the son of God. I read that this week. I was reminded of that. And I thought, oh, David is so smart. Because David could have said, you know what, in my own strength, we're just going to get through this. But instead he said, no, time out. If the challenge is really a challenge, if I'm really going to persevere, if I'm really going to be a person that has grit in life, I can tap into the God who loves me. It's the smartest thing I can do. 
So David seeks the will of God in that moment, and as a result, he hears from God. And, and so what does he do? He gets this green light to go ahead and, and to take on the Amalekites and, and to pursue them and to go and get their wives and to get their children back. And so it says this then in verse 9. It says, now David and the 600 men with him, they came to a place called Besor, the Besor Valley, where uh, some stayed behind. 200, uh, 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. Now get the picture here. There's 600 men, and these are elite fighting men. But in the midst of this, 200 of them are too exhausted, even though, I mean, this is how exhausted they are, even though their wives and their children are out who knows where. These guys can't take another step. If there was ever a time when they needed grit, this was it. But David moves forward with the 400 men that he has, and the scriptures say that if you fast forward through the story, that they fought all that day. They fought into the night and actually into the next day. They recover their children and their wives, and they take over the enemy. But what I love is this. I love the fact that in the midst of the trial, I love the fact that in the, in the really defining moment, what did David do? What do you do? What do I do? When we look a trial in the eye that seems bigger than us, I love that David didn't say, I can do it. Instead, David said, I can't do it. And God, I surrender it to you. Is there anything this morning that you would even say, I just, in order to keep going, I've got to just give this, God, in the strength that you provide and only in the strength that you provide, I will keep going. I just wonder if there are some of you, you're kind of like me, that you, sometimes you carry more than God designed you to carry. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you like that, where you just carry more weight than you really need to carry? If I've learned anything in the first six months of being a lead pastor, it's this. It's that I need to be quicker to give God the things that God needs to take care of and I don't need to worry about. If you have any things in your life like that, where you just need to say, God, the only thing, the greatest thing, the smartest, the wisest thing I can do is to find my strength in you. I love this truth. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Grab a hold of this truth. It says, the, uh, it says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So then that leads you and I to a choice. If the one who is in you, if you're a follower of Christ, is greater than the one who is in the world, then the choice for you and I becomes this. Who do we choose? Who do we choose in that moment? When you're faced with circumstances that really push you, where do you turn? Where do I turn? You know, it's interesting that the way that David handled this is so similar. It just parallels, runs a parallel track with what we see in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. I love it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see the Apostle Paul. Now, per Christians in particular, when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, we look at his life and we go, wow, I want to model that and this and that and everything after this guy, Right? But if you really read his story, if you really learn about his life, I think there are more recorded bad days in his life than about anybody else in the scriptures. This dude struggled. He had some things, he had some challenges come his way that would have pushed his back against the wall, no doubt. And so I think it's so helpful to look at his example now and say, how did he handle it? 
David, when he was really pushed, he said, okay, God, I find my strength in you. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this. It says three times, this is Paul speaking, three times he says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. Now, what Paul is talking about is this. The scriptures refer to it as a, a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what it is. It's very likely that it was a physical ailment that he dealt with continually, like pain that he always had. Verse 9, but he said to me, so the Lord speaking to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul's saying here now, therefore, Paul says, I will boast, like I'm going to brag. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then he said, that is why for, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And he had so many. And then he says this key statement. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When Paul was faced with ad adversity, and he had so much of it come his way, what did he do? How did Paul persevere? How did Paul have that last 2%? How did Paul have grit? What was it that after the 12th round, when things weren't going very well, what was it that allowed the Apostle Paul to get off the bench and to get in there and win the fight? What was it? It wasn't the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, I boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because right in the context of my weaknesses, the greatness and the power of God is made known. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, we've been in this series called Things to Fight For. And I just want to kind of wrap this together by asking you this question. Are there any things in your life that you need to have some grit on? Godly grit is not the kind of grit where you give yourself a pep talk. Those are good and they're helpful and they might help you win a football game and get the team rallied up and that's great. But in the bigger things of life, in the real trials of your life, you need more than that. And so I want to ask you, maybe you're facing a challenge in your marriage. You know, when we kind of look online and we're able to tell how many people are kind of clicking on different messages in the series, that message on marriage got six times more traffic online than any of the other messages in the series. And it wasn't, I can assure you, I know who gave it, it wasn't because it was so good. It was because it was needed. And I commend you, church, because you look at an area like your marriage and you say, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting. Is there an air, any other area in your life where you'd say, I need to have some grit. I need to fight for my identity. I need to be reminded of who I am. Is there anything you need to fight for? Do you need to fight for your character? Do you need to fight for the fact that you should be extremely proud of who you are when no one is looking? You need to fight for that. That's not going to come easy. You need to have grit, but don't have the kind of grit where you're on your own. Have godly grit, because godly grit says this, open hands to God. It says, I can't do it. So in the strength, God, that you provide, and only in that place, I'll move forward. Our band's going to come out now, and, and um, Miranda's going to sing a song for us to kind of close, um, lead us toward the end of our time. And um, we asked Miranda to sing this song because Christina sent this song to me actually a while back. And she said to me, she said, I, I want you to listen to this. I think this could, be, this could be helpful. This could be encouraging to you. And it's one of those songs, I don't know about you, but sometimes a song can really just cut right to the heart for you. Uh, this song was like that. 
And so I've listened to it uh, over, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this song in the last, I don't know, six, eight months. And so I wanted her to be able to sing this over you today and just for it hopefully to encourage you. Let these words, I think, really penetrate your heart and then I'll kind of come up and just share a couple more things. So yeah, Miranda. You know, I don't know if this morning you just need <clears throat> a reminder. <clears throat> He's never failing. He is never failing. And that, <clears throat> that is a promise from God. That is a promise from God that you can grab onto with all of your heart. You might not know where this will go, but he is never failing. I wonder if when Sugar Ray Leonard, I wonder when he got off the bench after that 12th round, I wonder if he had any idea that he was about to embark on the greatest minutes of his life what he would be known for. And I just wonder for some of you this morning, if you're here today and you would say this, you know what, those two words, keep going. I wonder if your greatest moment is on the other side of those words. And if you would just find your strength, if you would get your grit, not from yourself, but you would call out to the God that loves you like David knew. David knew. God, you're never failing. God, you will see me through. And so my encouragement for you this morning is to hear those two words, keep going, church. We're going to be a church that we keep going. We're going to bless this city with everything we have. Church, you be people that you keep on going, not in our strength, but in the strength that God provides. You know, we're going to close with the song here, and I just want to encourage you. We're going to sing about how God is a good father. And I want to encourage you, I want you to be a reminder to you this song, that this father in heaven, no matter what you face, he is good. And if you would like prayer, like any time, um, like any time you can, right over here, you can just walk down here. I would love to pray for you during this song, after the service, whenever. Um, but let's be a church today that we just kind of come around each other a little bit here, that we worship our God and that we remember so clearly, we can keep going. We can keep moving forward in the strength that he provides. So yeah, let's, let's stand together.